When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Manchester United followed up a dreary Wednesday night in South London with a fiery start away to rivals Manchester City. Bruno Fernandes put United in front after only two minutes and the Reds followed it up in the second half with a wonderful goal from Luke Shaw, the club's best player of 2021 and perhaps one of the Premier League's best too. As the sun set on Manchester on Sunday night, the City was red for a time at least. City are still top of the league and by some distance, but Derby victory provides a boost for confidence, for momentum and for morale going into a tough run of fixtures for United team who had struggled to create before this 2-0 win at the Etihad. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We're reviewing those games against City and Palace, discussing the wider context of the recent happenings at United, providing you with an extensive youth loan and women's roundup. Casey Stoney's side won 3-0 at the weekend against Villa and James Garner received some high praise from Chris Hewton. And at the end of the show, we're looking ahead to games against AC Milan in the Europa League and West Ham in the Premier League before patrons get a bonus Q&A after we wrap things up in which we'll talk uh, Ole's tactics Raphael Varane and plenty more if you want to hear that every week go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end and follow the instructions there on how to sign up to become a patron Jack this was such a satisfying victory and Pep Guardiola and I think this is the the key statistic from this game Pep Guardiola has faced 67 managers on more than three occasions and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the only one with a better head-to-head record than the City manager. He just does it away. Now, we've been beaten at home quite comfortably by City on quite a couple of occasions, but especially at the Etihad, Solskjaer has an ability to quite often be tactically better than Guardiola. I think that's what we're going to start talking about is Solskjaer's tactics, which were exactly right for the occasion. He really does seem to have Pep Guardiola's number at the Etihad for whatever reason. I mean, he's now the first United manager ever to be to have won his first three away Manchester derbies, which is just incredible when you think of the long history of this fixture. That no manager in United's history mm. has done this before, and it, I mean to have that sort of record against a manager like Pep Guardiola. I think Solskjaer's now got four victories against Guardiola and. Mourinho and Klopp are the only two that have more than him. I think they have seven and eight respectively. And that has come in over 20 attempts for each of them. I think this was Solskjaer's ninth game against Guardiola and has now won four of them, which is just incredible. You know, that's not the kind of record that you get against any sort of Pep Guardiola team, but especially against the Man City team that throughout the the time when Solskjaer's played them have have been almost unstoppable at at times. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really is incredible. I think Solskjaer was 
spot on with the game plan. I think what he did is he he took the good parts of what we did against Chelsea and adapted it. I think the great part about the Chelsea game was our pressing. Yeah. And we, we you know, we stopped Chelsea creating almost anything. And but that wasn't just a case of us sitting back and making clearance after clearance, block after block. We were pushed high up higher up the pitch than we normally are in these in these big games. We pressed from the front and we continued to do that against City and our our pressing from the first minute was almost impeccable. Yeah, we talk about progress a lot. Uh, we do and United fans do and pundits do and Oregon Solskjaer and other managers do. And progress is being second in the league, sure. It's whether United can progress beyond semi-finals this season. That's the biggest marker of progress. But progress is also approaching these big games in a different way to what we were used to. The, the typical Solskjaer smash and grab victory, the counter-attack wins at Wembley against Spurs, um, in games against City previously at the Etihad, in, in, against PSG away from home. But there's, there's so many examples, I don't need to list them. But that traditional smash and grab that we're used to in the initial 18 months of the Solskjaer era has been replaced by an approach away from home against big sides where United have, have tried to assert themselves more. Now, you have to offer some some um, context to that. United's record in big games this season is poor. We've missed opportunities at home and away to Chelsea, at home and away to Arsenal, at home to City, at home to Liverpool, away to Liverpool. We we have not performed against the traditional big six. Now in games against Everton and Leicester, we've played okay. But the, so so there is that problem that it hasn't always come off, but the approach is different. And, and this was the first time in the season where it did come off, where, as you say, this was a, a very well-organised pressing performance. And the result was that not only did United look better as a whole, but the defence was able to cope better. And I think what's, I mentioned on here a couple of weeks ago that this season was because of the relentless fixture schedule, this season was maybe the most telling about which managers could most efficiently get their message across to their players on a game by game basis with much less time on the training ground where almost all that time on the training ground is spent on recovery rather than uh, training and, and, and looking ahead to the next game. Now we had from Wednesday to Sunday to prepare for city Wednesday was atrocious. It was it was dire. It was so unentertaining, so uninspiring against a Palace team that barely had to do anything to keep United out. But this was a team that was well organised. That everyone knew their roles, and we can get into that into a second. But just great credit to the players and to the coaching staff for managing to put together this performance to stop what we all thought was an unstoppable Manchester City side to have been so good over the last twenty eight games in which they were unbeaten before this. Yeah, I think Solskjaer deserves all the praise in the world. I think it's only right that we, as as quick as we are to, to sometimes jump on criticisms of Solskjaer and his tactics, especially in the big games, it's only right that we are just as quick to praise him when he gets it spot on like this. And he really did. You know, there's a phrase in boxing that styles make fights. And I think there, there is definitely an element of that going on here with this United team against this City team because... Although we have struggled at home at times against City, the, the styles of these two teams suits us down to the ground. City are a team that yeah. love to have the ball. They love they love to keep possession and sort of grind teams down. And that we, we're perfectly happy to sit back and hit on the counter attack. You know that is our strength when there is space in behind to, for us to attack quickly. The problem for us against City has always been tracking the runs from midfield. Mm. You know, you look at the the goals that have been scored by City against us in the the Pep Solskjaer era. Most of them have come from midfielders. 
Jesus and Aguero have scored very few goals. Sterling has never scored against United. Most of them have come from Gundogan, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, and then from set pieces as well, because we seem to concede from set pieces <laughs> yeah. every time we play City at Old Trafford. But it's those runs from midfield that normally are are the killer for us against City. And that is where we've improved massively in this fixture. Fred and McTominay were absolutely brilliant at shutting down that space, stopping those runs. And to be fair, they also started from Bruno yeah, Fernandes yeah. too, because he was blocking the passing lanes into midfield, forcing City to, to go wide into an area where actually probably our two best def- one-on-one defenders, definitely Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Luke Shaw, you'd back them to to do okay against Sterling and Mares over the course of yeah. 90 minutes. So I think it, it was it was brilliant from the whole I team. think that's what was was clever is that Solskjaer trusted in Shaw and Wambasaka, two players in, in decent form and who we know, especially Wambasaka, but also Shaw can cope in the one-on-one situations. Particularly Wambasaka has that upper hand against Raheem Sterling because he's shown it for, what, six or seven fixtures now that he he has Sterling under control. We know that they're good at that. The problem, as you say, was going to be those runs from central midfield, but it was it was it was Fred and McTominay covering so well. And if you think to games against Spurs, against Leipzig, I'm trying to remember some more, but there's been so many situations against Sheffield United as well, where it's almost been impossible to understand how opposition players have got so much space in the box and their runs haven't been tracked and they've been given two or three seconds to stay in the box and then receive the ball and then shoot. Particularly thinking about Everton at home as well. Yeah, yeah. But particularly thinking about Sheffield United, only, I can't remember how many weeks the the time seems to go by in a... Three weeks, uh, maybe? Complete fact, yeah. If it's three weeks, it feels like like a lot longer. Yeah. Um, But that game where Oliver Burke was just given that space to... they, They had two or three opportunities with which to shoot in the area. Compare that to away at the Etihad where every run was tracked and and done so fantastically. And I think what's we you said we have to give Solskjaer credit because we criticise him when things go wrong. The same applies to the central defenders and the central midfielders. Fred and McTominay have been really poor at tracking those runs this season and, and giving that space and lacking concentration. Maguire and Lindelof have received plenty of criticism, but their ability to stop the crosses and and, and mark their players was also fantastic. It was a, a really, I think, attacking wise, United didn't do that that brilliantly. One goal was a fortunate penalty given away early on from a moment of stupidity that Fernandez scored. The other goal was very good. But attacking-wise, we didn't do that much. Defensively, it was excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, we weren't amazing going forward, but we definitely, what was nice to see is we were definitely braver on the ball. And that, to me, yeah. was was the difference. You know, this was a it was a brilliant performance, not because it was perfect but because there was a willingness to do more you know the entire team pressed as a unit brilliantly led from the front by by Martial Dan James Rashford and Bruno the way we defended was incredible you know City I think they they probably had two opportunities the entire game the Rodri hitting the bar and Sterling not making contact with Walker's cross was and and maybe the Mahrez right footed shot that went across the goal you know other than that there, there wasn't really anything. And for a team as good as City are at creating chances, that says a lot about how good we were. But I think the key here is this wasn't just a case, as you as you said before, that we've had games against City where we have just sat back, we've soaked up pressure and we've ridden our luck, whether it be bad finishing or some a string of De Gea saves to keep us in the game. This wasn't that at all. This was us controlling City. And when we got on the ball, we were so much braver. 
We were aggressive in defence without being rash. We towed that line brilliantly. And yeah. the big difference to all of the other big games this season is is our willingness to be be brave. I just keep repeating that phrase because that was, I think, the biggest thing. Do you think on the ball? Do you think that came as a result of the early goal, or do you think that was because of a, a trust in in the tactics and and the knowledge that we've done this a few times now and missed our opportunity against Chelsea, against Arsenal, against Liverpool, whatever, and, and the knowledge that we had to do a little bit more. I mean, it could have come from the early goal, but to be honest, I, if anything, I think scoring an early goal in games like that can actually have the opposite effect and it can make teams go into their shell a bit more. Yeah. You know, it, if anything, at, at that point, we have all the incentive in the world to just sit back, soak up the pressure and think, well, if, as long as you don't concede, we've won the game. You know, I, I think it probably did help with the confidence of the team, I'm sure. But to me, the big thing, the reason why I think it came more from the the team and, and from the coaching staff being a conscious choice to try and be a bit more aggressive on the ball is how we came out at the start of the second half. Yeah. The first two or three minutes, that was when Rodri hit the bar and City, you know, looked like they were going to be dominant again as they were at the end of the second half. But the first time we got on the ball, we were brilliant. We knocked it around with a lot of confidence. There was a real yeah. zip in our passing. You know, in, in games like this in the past, we've never been able to keep the ball for 30 seconds to a minute at a time unless we were driving at goal but at the start of the second half even in the lead up to Shaw's goal you know we were controlling that game we were the better team at the start of the second half even on the ball and that to me was the big difference with big games recently yeah absolutely because I remember that period and it wasn't that long it was probably 10 minutes but it's so hard to remember or think back to a game against City where we've had that level of control even for just a period like that which says something about the way these games have gone in the last few years but also says something about the quality with which you played I thought the key to if if the pressing was the key to the quality of the defence and the fact that United deliberately tried to stop Cancelo and did so successfully he was brought off after 63-64 minutes I think for for Kyle Walker and that was because Rashford was tracking them pressing and then Fred would come out wide and as you said earlier Fernandes would drop in and that in and that kind of high defensive line as well that that squeeze city space if that was the key to the defence the key to the attack I think was what you were saying that the braveness which was is perfectly evidenced by the number of players arriving in the box on the counter-attack this wasn't about the front three it wasn't about James Martial and Rashford they're always going to go forward and they're always going to go forward with pace the difference I think was Luke Shaw coming inside and offering yeah, that 100%. inverted run inside that probably we're more used to seeing from City fullbacks, particularly Cancelo this season. But Shaw coming inside and causing those problems for City's defence, but also Fred McTominay and Bruno arriving into the box quickly. And it meant sometimes six, sometimes seven players within 10 seconds of United winning the ball were in or around the penalty area. And United have been a good attacking, uh, counter-attacking team and, and that's probably what we've got the most credit for over the past two, two and a half years. But I think this was this was an improvement on that. It, the, the, the sudden arrival of so many players gave so many options and, and really just caused havoc in that City defence when, when it did go well. Sometimes we messed up the final ball, Rashford messed it up a few times, Bruno did, um, Dan James did as well. But the presence of so many players just made it difficult to defend. And I think even though, as I said before, I don't think we were that good in attack, I think we showed the potential to be better in attack than we actually were. And as it goes against a very good City defence, we did very well. And I think a lot of that was down to Shaw, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, he's... His impact on our team in attack really can't be underestimated in the last few months. The, the stats behind 
his his improvement are ridiculous. The the rate that he's creating chances, playing key passes, assists, and and now a goal. It 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 really is incredible numbers for for any fullback, but let alone a fullback in a team that that hasn't actually been playing that well in recent weeks as well. You know, despite our jet, collective dip in form, Shaw's form has remained you know sky high, and it's brilliant to watch. He he really was a key part of that because Mares. Is not the kind of winger who's going to track back very often, and it created a little bit of an overload for us in the sort of the left hand side because you often had Fernandez dropping into that space as well. You obviously have Rashford out on the left. Fred and McTominay were willing to get forward as well, and that that was where the majority of our good play came from. You know, it was those those players on sort of the left hand side of the pitch really making a big difference, giving us a bit more of an outlet yeah. going forward. Again, it, this wasn't as you said. This wasn't just you know play a long ball up to Rashford or Dan James and let them have a run, which, you know, is a legitimate and, and effective tactic that we've used before in these games. This this was a much more collective effort and a, I think a much more conscious desire from on the part of the whole team to get forward and, and be more aggressive on the ball. You know, we, we, it wasn't perfect, of course. There were multiple times when we were going forward where the final ball wasn't great. We let ourselves down with some passing. But overall, what was great is that even when we did lose the ball, the, the recovery runs that you saw were brilliant. There was that one Rashford by Rashford that ended yeah. up with him getting injured, and we we can, yeah we can you know we can only hope that injury isn't too serious. But you know that saves a certain city chance, and that that was brilliant. And there was multiple times. There was one in the first half where Fernandez on about I think fifteen minutes shut shut down Edison when he had the ball, and you look back two seconds later, and he's immediately back on Rodri. Yeah. You know the whole game it it was like that. It, it was great to watch. Yeah, and I, I think it's always worth reiterating this season this asterisk season that to put in that uh, quality performance, but also with the the work rate that we showed throughout is, is, is to be applauded from any team because this is a ridiculous, I mean, we haven't had a midweek off since we started the season yeah, and we've got out of the five Premier League players with the most minutes played, four of them play for Manchester United and most of them were, were, in fact, all of them were playing against City, Rashford, Maguire, Fernandez, and Wan-Bissaka. So, it, yeah, it deserves applauding. Um, I just think... Sure, I mean, Harry we- Maguire, just a note, is Harry Maguire has played every minute of the 65 Premier League games <laughs> that he's played, that Man United have played since he joined the club. Yeah. I mean, that is quite outrageous. That Also that, just the, the reliability, yes, he's made mistakes, and, and yes, there's a weaknesses to his game, but the just being able to rely on your centre-back to play every game is such a massive boost. I mean, to contrast with Liverpool this season, the, the an obvious benefit and an advantage for United is just Maguire's continual fitness. Um, yeah. Just I if, wonder what the, the, the longest run is in history for a player playing every minute of Premier League. So. I know Conor Cody played every minute for Wolves for a long, long time until he picked up a suspension, I think. No, until he didn't, he wasn't suspended. He had to miss a game this season because he'd been in contact with someone with coronavirus and he missed his first game for Wolves in, I think it was over a hundred games going back to when they were in the championship, which is an amazing run. So I think he's got a long way to go for that, but there it is. Yeah, I think it said, it says 84 league games since they were promoted to the, the top flight. Right. Oh, that and that was only the third longest, actually. Let me see if I can find out the two the two uh, longer longer ones. Right. While you're doing that, um, we praised Solskjaer for the tactics, but also I think focusing in on on Luke Shaw, his goal was brilliant. I, I mean, I, we don't need to describe how good it was. Everyone knows and has seen it. But in terms of the the man management of Luke Shaw, 
the issue with him, and I think he's admitted this and, and most of his coaches have freely admitted this, particularly Marino, who was always keen to point it out, that the problem with Shaw was often actually his work rate. He didn't work hard enough. You had play, uh, coaches and managers from every level he'd been at, club, youth level, international, saying he didn't work hard enough in training. Since Solskjaer has come in, the consistent level of improvement and the, the work rate has been outstanding. And I think that's why we're, we're seeing a player who is loving working under a manager who appreciates him and knows how to get the best out of him. And the results on the pitch are what we're now seeing. I guess the, the other two players I'd like to, to point out is Anthony Marshall and Dean Henderson. We had a question from one of our patrons, Dave Shefflin, who said, could Marshall still salvage his season somewhat and prove his worth to Solskjaer with performances like yesterday and some big goals? He obviously missed two major chances. The one where he headed it on the volley instead of going, uh, headed it instead of going for the volley and the one where McTominay was fouled and the kind of was a lull in play and he picked it up and, and should have scored. Absolutely. Uh, uh, such an easy chance for a, a quality striker and didn't, but his hold up play, his pressing, his energy, his communication to lead that press was fantastic. And it was, it, Solskjaer said after it looked like Martial had, had rediscovered himself and it really did. This was a, a proper number nine's performance, even though his finishing was off. Yeah. Martial was brilliant. Before I get into him, just an update on the uh, ever present stat. So the two longest outfield players is Wayne Bridge and Leighton Baines. So Wayne Bridge played over 10,000 minutes in succession for wow. Southampton from March 2000 to January 2003. <laughs> and Leighton Baines hit almost 9,000 minutes for Everton between October 2009 and April 2012. But that's not actually the longest in total. The longest one ever is um, Tim Howard, would you believe it, with almost 19,000 minutes consecutively from for, for Everton, right. uh, not at United, from September 2007 to February 2013. Yeah, amazing run. But I, get, I feel like the outfield record is probably more impressive yeah. from Bridge and uh, Baines. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I, Maguire's mark is, is all the more impressive given that Wayne Bridge and Leighton Baines probably weren't playing that much in Europe at, during their runs. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, that's going true. back to Martial, it's, it's, I mean, he was brilliant. He really was. And... I think you can often see from Martial, we, we say this all the, all the time with United, that sometimes you can tell from the first two or three minutes yeah. how a game is going to go. And, and Martial is probably the, the biggest per, per player who, you know, you can really tell exactly how he's going to play for the rest of the game from how he starts. And obviously won the penalty in the first minute from a good little run. But even after that, he was so good. He, he really did lead us how you expect a number nine to lead us, which was really, really wonderful to to see. Solskjaer mentioned it after the game and I think this was an acknowledgement that he has seen that Solskjaer hasn't been at his best in recent months. That He said this this was the Anthony of old. This was the Martial that we know and expect. It sounded like he, he was, a, was a gamble to start after picking up a knock last yeah. week. Solskjaer said he faced a fitness test two hours before, <laughs> before kickoff and having come through that to then put in such a great performance, all he needed to top it off was a goal and he obviously sadly missed that one-on-one -on -one chance with Edison but I mean, despite that, he was a wonderful performance and, and probably up there with Shaw as, as the man of the match. Yeah, Gary Neville uh, gave Martial the man of the match award. I probably would have given it to Shaw. But if, I mean, if we had any questions about Martial's desire, there it is. The, the, what we want to see is him do that more consistently and to do it not just in the big games. Because I think you said when we were previewing the Chelsea game, 
uh, that you were less worried about Martial playing against Chelsea than against Newcastle or, or a, a lesser quality side because in the big games you can kind of trust that that desire and energy will be there it's less easy to do so in the small games so that's what we need to see but it was it, every United attack went and, and to be clear I don't like I don't want I don't want this to come across as us you know saying Martial doesn't have the hunger or desire and he do, like he doesn't want to be at United or he's got a bad attitude or anything like that. It's, it's nothing like that. It's just, it's not a conscious thing. You know, I, I don't think Martial has ever stepped on a pitch and thought, wow, oh, I don't really care today. I'm not going to do everything. But it's about, as a as a player, it's certain things sort of tick you a little bit and make, make you work that little bit harder. It's completely unconscious, but the big games definitely are one thing like that. Sometimes the crowd's energy, sometimes it's something that a coach can do and it's, and it's up to Solskjaer and up to every manager in the Premier League to to make sure their players fully are, are ready and prepared, not only for these big games where it's easy to find all the motivation you need, but you know when you're playing a slightly lesser team, you think it might be an easier game. You know, those are the games where you really yeah. need that extra amount of motivation. So it's not anything on Martial where he's consciously deciding, oh, I'm, I'm not, I don't really care about this game. I'm not going to put any effort in. It's just yeah. a subconscious thing that happens to every player. But Martial just, his swings seem a lot, a little bit more than most yeah. players. And he needs to find his finishing in, in big games like these. It, it didn't, it wasn't a problem yeah. on Sunday. It could be in a different game. On the subject of confidence though, Dean Henderson inspires confidence in me. And I imagine, and to be honest, you can kind of see it. it the same is true in the defence. Um, David De Gea is in Spain celebrating the birth of his first child, which is lovely to see um, with Adirne. But Henderson has been given a, an incredible opportunity here to make himself United's number one and he's taken it completely so far. The confidence comes from him him claiming crosses, whether they're set pieces or not. He mops up those through balls in the area. There was one poked through to Raheem Sterling that Henderson just came in and claimed very quickly. That's kind of something you'd probably see De Gea do as well, but not the crosses. That's definitely where Henderson excels most. And the distribution for Shaw's goal was fantastic. He took ages to make his mind up about where to go, um, waited for those runs to be made, and then spotted Shaw and that brilliant Schmeichel-esque long throw. Um, and I mean, we've seen, uh, well, watchers of you teams who, who saw Dean Henderson in United under 23s, under 21s, etc., will have seen those those long throws, which he he learnt or uh, chose to practice having watched Michael as a kid. Um, it's the third goal he's been involved in this season. When he did it at youth level, it always used to be massive long throws up over the halfway line to Marcus Rashford to chase onto them, which we'll probably see at some point soon as well. But going back to the crosses, he's it's backed up by both the eye test that we can all see it, but also the stats is that the best goalkeeping performances for United this season in terms of the percentage of crosses stopped have all come from Dean Henderson against Real Sociedad, Manchester City and Crystal Palace three of his last, I guess, four or five games, it's it's backed up by the stats. You can see it when you're watching. It just inspires confidence in, in us and I imagine in that back line as well. I personally feel so much more comfortable with with Henderson in goal and that's not meant to be a slight on De Gea. It's not to say that I feel uncomfortable with De Gea in goal and it's not that he has necessarily done anything wrong. But we talk a lot about our current crop of defenders not hiding each other's weaknesses and not highlighting each other's strengths. And I think Henderson helps with that to some degree. The biggest weakness for me with this defence, well, other than, than mm. players running into space and behind, which a goalkeeper can't really help with too much, is crosses. That's where we can see so many of our goals, whether it be crosses whipped in from out wide that sort of uh, aim to get a header on them or whether it's cutbacks, whether it's low crosses. 
whatever it might be, we aren't particularly good with dealing it with them. And Henderson helps with that massively because he is just so confident at coming and claiming crosses. So many occasions against City and against Palace, to be fair, he comes and, and is so commanding in his box. There are multiple times against City where you can hear him with a massive shout of Dino as he comes out to collect the ball. And his distribution, as you said, is just getting better and better. And I, to me, that is the main drawback of Henderson against De Gea, is the distribution. And there does seem to have been a really renewed focus at United recently on playing out from the back. And so I understand that that might be a worry with Henderson, but it's getting better week by week. There was a, a moment in the first half, I can't remember exactly when, uh, where Henderson had the ball. I was a little bit worried he had it on his left foot and he clipped a beautiful ball out to yeah. Shaw at left back and Shaw took took down on his chest. We we were started, did this new sort of goal kick routine with Maguire and Lindelof starting really deep on our own six yard box, which works. And Henderson wasn't ever at fault when we went back to him. And then obviously the the big one is the the throw for the goal, yeah. and it's just that that commandeering of his box and the improvement in his distribution. To me, I mean, I I think he should be our number one going forward. We've said this for for quite a while now. I just don't see a downside to keeping him in the team. Obviously, it means that De Gea has to go on the bench, but De Gea isn't the future of this football club, and Dean Henderson is. Yeah, I agree. I think my only concern with Henderson is he's such a confident player. He's, he's throughout his career he's been so confident in himself and that's been noted everywhere he's gone to, he's been on loan at Shrewsbury Grimsby Sheffield United and, and all the fans there have noted just this constant confidence the concern is for because confidence is so important for goalkeepers I think I mean Joe Hart's probably the best example of the last few years of a, a goalkeeper who was at the very top level had his confidence knocked and his career has petered out in for him what must be incredibly disappointing fashion and I guess for England as well Henderson is a very confident player in the long term I guess we'll see how much do his performances get affected if his confidence takes a blow now he's made a mistake for United already this season it hasn't seemed to make any difference. He made a mistake for Sheffield United last year against Liverpool when he let a long shot go through his legs. Didn't seem to make any difference. So looks like it'll be fine, but that's my only, it would be my only concern going forward is is making sure that that doesn't affect him at any point because he's such a, a, he's a keeper who relies a lot on his confidence as well as his talent. Um, We, I haven't got that much time, so we should move on. In the Patreon Q&A, we'll talk about what this result against City means going forward and kind of a few what-ifs and what our hopes and targets for the season are now. Um, we'll talk about that in the, the Patreon Q&A instead because I want to talk about AC Milan and West Ham, two very interesting games. So we'll talk about them after the youth loan and women's roundup. No under-23 game this week, but the under-18s made up for it with a fantastic 1-0 win against Liverpool that moves them to the top of the under-18 Premier League thanks to Charlie McNeil's first-half goal. He's in good form, McNeil, consistent too. 14 goals in 13 games for United's under-18s this season and six goals in three games against City and Liverpool. In loan news to East Chong, assisted for Club Bruges in a win for the Belgian side this weekend against Zulta Varagem. Diogo Dallo started for AC Milan this weekend and scored the Rossoneri's second goal in a 2-0 win against Hellas Verona. Goalkeeper Jake Carney was named Portadown FC's Player of the Month for February. Nottingham Forest manager Chris Hewton praised on-loan midfielder James Garner despite their 2-0 loss to his old club Watford. And the Nottingham Post ran a headline saying, Forest are nurturing the next Michael Carrick. It's going well for him down there. 
Deshaun Bernard and Ethan Laird played 90 minutes for Salford City and MK Dons respectively, although Dylan Levitt was once again an unused sub for Croatian side NK Istra. A graduate of the United Academy, Laji Ramazani, who left the club last summer, he scored a stunning halfway line goal for new club Udalmire's Academy. It's worth looking that one up and you can watch it on the at Academy Man UTD Twitter. Manchester United women returned to action after a prolonged break and they did so in style, seeing off Aston Villa with a 3-0 win. Goals came from Kirsty Hansen, Jess Sigsworth and Katie Zellum at Lee Sports Village. It keeps United in a strong position as they seek Champions League qualification. Up next is Arsenal, rivals for that qualification. If you're interested in more Academy news, you can sign up to our new tier on Patreon, where you'll get two extended Academy updates each month for just three quid a month. To find out information on how to do that, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. Jack AC Milan on Thursday in the Europa League. It's a it's a tough tie. We we all said this. Um, it's another one. I think this is a point worth making about the City game that that win against City away and then. There is nothing better than Manchester after a win in the derby and being able to go into town or go to a, a pub anywhere in Manchester and, and celebrate beating City. The same applies, that, that same feeling of despair at the current situation when we play AC Milan at home and then away, a potential trip to the San Siro for fans ruined by the continued impact of coronavirus. But... A great tie, nevertheless, should be a fun one to watch. Milan coming into this game, uh, they were in bad form. I think they'd picked up four points from four games in Serie A. They changed that with a 2-0 away win against Verona at the weekend, which Diogo Dallas scored in, as I mentioned in that uh, loan roundup. They're with quite a lot of injuries. We won't be seeing Zlatan Ibrahimovic on Thursday. He's injured. Uh, we're unlikely to see Benacer either. Uh, against Verona, they were also missing... Uh, Kahanoglu, Mansukic, Maldini, Ante Rebic and Theo Hernandez. These are some of Milan's key players. They're, they're second in Serie A, four points clear of Juve, three points behind their City rivals Inter. But these injuries mean United should be going into this first leg thinking this is an opportunity to get a comfortable victory here at home. Because if they're without all of Zlatan, Kahanoglu and Hernandez, we should be winning that first leg pretty comfortably that's three of their key players yeah absolutely I, I think this is I think on paper a pretty even game if if both teams are arriving at full strength but they really are key key players that are out for Milan you know really throughout all areas of the pitch but defensively I think they're, they're still in pretty good shape Darlo has been playing at left back a lot for for Milan and Calabria on, uh, on the right with Tamori and Romagnoli normally as centre-back and with a very good goalkeeper in Donnarumma as well. So I think, you know, defensively, they will still be strong as as most Italian sides tend to be anyway. So I think it will still be difficult for us to break down Milan, but the quality in attack is de- is definitely lacking compared to what it would be normally. And, you know, I think also Ibrahimovic is still at this point in his career, a very unique striker and yeah. not just obviously in his personality, but in the way that he plays. And he pre- presents a challenge that is very different to one that our centre-backs would probably have faced at any point this season. So not having him in the team, I think, makes it a little bit easier to prepare for this game. But I think the the biggest thing is for me is just that we should be riding high on confidence now following this City yeah. game. You know, every, everything isn't solved at United, of course. This is still the same team that drew nil-nil <laughs> yeah. three games in a row a week, you know, in the last 10 days. So everything definitely isn't solved, but there should not be any sort of confidence problem now 
we finally got the monkey off our backs of scoring a goal and open play in a big game, which just that alone, I think, will give this team a boost. So I think I, you'll, you'd see United come in with a, a pretty strong team with minimal changes and, and hopefully really take the game to Milan because you're right, this is a game for us to go and win rather than to sit back and hope for the best. Yeah, and Solskjaer hasn't been particularly keen to rotate all the time. He's he's he very much, he, he, he often mentions the the desire to keep momentum and after beating sitting he'll 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 be desperate to do that particularly with a West Ham coming up at the weekend yeah you might want to rest and it's a very tough week of fixtures City Milan West Ham but he'll he'll want to keep that momentum with a a good victory and make the second leg easier too I've been reading up about Milan and and they're good at set pieces which is a concern for United but without Zlatan there and without Kahnoglu too, he's a great free kick taker, whether he's shooting or, or crossing. Without both of them, that threat is is diminished. Away from... And with it, Henderson in goal as well. We, yeah, I very true. We, you know, we're still not great defending set pieces, but that definitely improves us. That is very true. Um, but away from Ibrahimovic, he's their top scorer in Syria. They don't really have any other primary goal scorer. I think United are better in that in that respect with Fernandez, Rashford, Martial all contributing. James and Greenwood in recent weeks as well. Uh, Franck Kessier has nine goals in the league, but most of those are penalties. Uh, I remember watching a Europa League game of Milan's early this season and seeing uh, Hauga, I think it is pronounced. Our Norwegian listeners will correct me on that probably. Who he, he scored a few in the Europa League, but hasn't scored recently. Um, so I mean, yeah, a team with a lot of injuries. In in terms of rotation. How much? I mean, there's not much that United can make. I think maybe Matic will come in for this one, but he may he he could also be rested for West Ham at the weekend. It's a it's a really difficult one to. It's it's funny how much the absence of Paul Pogba drastically affects things, just in terms of rotation, let alone the quality of the side. Yeah, massively, massively affects us. Not just because you know we miss a good player, but also because of the way it it changes the dynamics of partnerships in our team as well you know you look at we we spoke probably two two months ago at this point that we almost had two almost three completely different midfields that we could enter any game with you have Fred and McTominay as one you have Pogba and Matic as the other they both offer very different skill sets that can be used in different ways which is a great plus for United but all of a sudden you take Pogba out of that and all of a sudden it looks like it all, almost Fred and McTominay are, are the only viable option. You know, you play Matic in there with one of Fred and McTominay and it's still okay, but it's not huge. And the problem is that when you play with Matic, you want you want your team to be much fo- more focused on, on keeping possession and getting quality ball into the forwards. And then whoever you play him next to, whether that's Fred or McTominay, just aren't as suited to that. And so Pogba's, Pogba's uh, absence is massive for us. We've talked about it a lot in the last few months. He does make a big, big difference. You would hope that we still have enough quality in this team to make it work. I think it really depends how Milan approach the game. You know, they are their reputation precedes them in terms of the, the club's history. But you wonder whether with all these injuries, they may be content to sit back and try and hit us on the counter-attack, which yeah, as I'd we've spoke, so. spoken about at, at length you know, in the past few months, that is not the kind of game that's going to suit us. But that, that I also think is another reason why Matic will probably start because he is better in those situations than Fred or McTominay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether Bayi comes in for Lindelof. I thought uh, just on Lindelof, 
that Maguire-Lindelof pair, apart from the Spurs game, has been pretty spot on in big games. I think it's it's when they don't have the as much specific preparation for the attack they're playing in terms of the rest of the team, when they've got less protection, I guess, that they're exposed a bit more. And also when they're expected to do and more in attack. And we also tend to sit... And we tend to sit deeper. We have more players around them when we yeah. when we play the big bigger teams. You know, it's kind of it's kind of similar to what Van Hal's team did for Chris Smalling. You know, we yeah. were a team that were playing a lot deeper. Didn't require him to do quite as much. It was almost just you re- react on instinct. You're not left with 50 yards of space to defend. And I think that's kind of what we see in the big games with Maguire and Lindelof. Yeah, it's not you know that's not to say their task is easy at all. They've still done really really well in those games. But I think despite the fact they're playing a better opposition, the style that we defend within those games suits them. Yeah. And I mean, it's another reason why signing a proper quality midfielder is so important. I think that's something we're going to talk about in the patron Q and a, um, we'll wrap things up there. I'm, I'm excited going into this week. It's funny how much it changes your mood. It's, 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 I, I, I mean, winning these big games is great at the moment, but you do get that sense after all of them that it's just, uh, wins become something's missing yeah the the good wins are, are just a little duller I guess it'd be different if I was living in a house of all United fans but I'm at uni with uh, predominantly Arsenal fans and a Sunderland fan and, and whatever so on um, and it's just those wins I think defeats are harder because you just kind of mull them over and the wins are just slightly duller so I mean I just cannot wait for even if it's not me going to games again, or if I'm not going to the stadium itself, just being able to be with football fans outside of your house, wherever the the day cannot come soon enough. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this week. Um, Milan and West Ham should both be good games and hopefully good results for United. We will wrap things up there. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you want to hear more, go sign up to become a patron. We've got loads to talk about today. Uh, for more from Jack throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at at UTDTate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Until then, goodbye and have a great week. Podcast Network.